Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hello. This is Gigabit Nation. Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank you for taking time to be with us today as we provide useful information and insights to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere that it needs to be. Now, one of the big questions that will always be asked, you know, early on in, in, in every community's effort to, uh, to move broadband forward is the question of how is this going to be paid for? And this is not an easy question in, in, some, in some places and for some communities, but it is an issue that, uh, that definitely needs to be addressed. Uh, my general feeling about discussing uh, financial and, and fundraising issues is that I think people have a very narrow scope of what they think their options are and fail to see other possible options that are roaming around them. And so a lot of what I try to do is bring these other options to people's attention so that, you know, you may eventually find that the option may not work, you know, one works better than the other, but I think it's best that we look at all our options as a community and then uh, make a decision based on what makes the most amount of sense for, for, for your community. So one of those areas or options, if you will, for funding are municipal bonds, which in the course of the discussion of broadband in the U.S. over the last six years has either been in high favor, has been out of favor. Now I'm not sure what people think when they, when they think about municipal bonds, but I think it's time to really consider these again because I think we're out of that period where um, it didn't make a lot of sense, but now uh, the, the financial climate seems to be changing, and so these probably should come back on the table as one of your serious uh, considerations. So I brought two experts on today um, to talk about this from a couple of angles. Uh, one, uh, one is Dave, David Shaw, who is the chief of the government and utilities industry section of Curtin McConkey uh, Law Firm, uh, and they're in uh, Utah. And also Laura Lewis, who is the principal at uh, the municipal financial advisory firm Lewis, Young, Robertson, and Birmingham also in, 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 in Utah. And to both of you, Laura and David, thank you very, very much for being on the show today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So, so let's start with, actually, before we get into the, the mechanics of, of, of bonding, I don't know if that's the right word to use for it, for bond measures, um, why don't you start, uh, starting with Dave, you guys tell me, what your firm does and, and where your area of expertise is in this bond discussion. Uh, yeah, thank you, Craig. Um, it's a pleasure to be on the show. Um, I, I, I'm a partner at the law firm, uh, Curtin McConkie. We're the largest firm in the state of Utah. And uh, in the context of uh, municipal bonding, what I do is I represent uh, cities uh, as borrowers uh, as they go to the bond market to seek money. Uh, and make sure that they uh, basically do it right. Uh, it, it can be very complicated and, and very convoluted. Uh, and if you don't do it right, you get in a, big, in a lot of trouble. And so that's what I do. I represent the borrower uh, mm -hmm. in, in making sure they, they do things the way they should be. Okay. And, and Laura? Um, yes, we have been in business uh, serving local government's uh, financing needs uh, for just about 19 years. And I was in uh, the same uh, type of business prior to that for about six years with a, an underwriting firm. And uh, our firm's uh, uh, focus is on providing independent uh, municipal advisory services to local clients when they are um, uh, seeking debt measures 
our job is to bring to them all of the various options that they could use, and we're very fortunate in Utah. We have a lot of uh, you know, uh, proverbial arrows in our quiver that we can use in meeting their financing needs. And so our job is to sit down with them and um, show them both quantitatively and, um, you know, practically how the different uh, alternatives would work and what the impacts are and help them uh, structure the debt in a way that is uh, most conducive to meet their needs. Okay. So, you know, our audience is a mix of folks who are uh, key stakeholders, key advocates, and the broadband project teams that actually get the work done they are probably um, uh, heavily maybe economic development oriented. They are city staff. They may not necessarily be financial wizards, but at the same time, as you know, we had the show yesterday where we talked about non-techie people need to understand a lot of the technology because it, understanding it helps with a number of key decisions that they have to make in the course of the, of the, of the project. I am going to go out on a limb here and say that probably all of those key stakeholders driving a broadband project should have some basic understanding of, of finance uh, in, in a number of areas because I think that the traditional avenues for raising money, financial institutions, banks, uh, and you know groups such as yours are all part of this mix. So with that in mind, so we're all on the same page. What's a municipal bond, and how? What role does it play in this world of financing or potentially financing broadband network projects? The and um, Dave, I guess. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, sure, sure. And, and so, so the basic notion is a municipal bond is a, is is a form of a loan. Uh, and, and it's a loan that has to have collateral to it. It has to have uh, some form of, of payback. Uh, and so that, that's one of the key elements is that uh, figuring out uh, what the collateral is, what type of loan will it be, uh, that's where uh, Laura and I come into play in, in making sure that we can decipher uh, the nuances of, of the bond markets uh, for the city officials so they understand them. Uh, and, 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 and our job is to make it easy. So, mm -hmm. uh, so, so in its core essence, it's really just a loan, but it's a loan that can last a long time, and, and, and it's a loan that basically gets traded uh, in the bond marketplace. So, Laura, what, you know, I made the, the assumption you know, in my opening remarks that people need to have some level of understanding of financial issues. Uh, what kinds of things should people educate themselves on uh, if they want to, you know, come at this from a logical perspective? I mean, should I, I'm sort of thing, I need to go to get an MBA in, in, in accounting and finance, but there's probably some basics that I should learn from somewhere about, you know, financing as it pertains to, you know, the, the, the bond effort if they're going to go that way. Right. Well, uh, there are um, uh, there are not a lot of uh, great sources in regard to like textbooks of where to go to learn how to do municipal bonds, and that's probably in large part because um, municipal bond law varies state to state. From a federal perspective, one of the um, overriding things are um, bonds are technically securities. They are um, you know, under the scrutiny of the SEC, um, FINRA, and the Municipal Securities Rulemaking Board as to how they can and can't be issued. And um, most importantly, probably um, the uh, Internal Revenue Service uh, cares greatly about how they're issued. And from a national perspective, depending upon how bonds are structured and who is benefited, whether a private party is benefited or if it's a public entity that is benefited, those bonds might be deemed taxable if it's a private party um, that uh, you know benefits from that, or um, if it's a, a local government or a nonprofit entity, they could be done on a tax exempt basis. So that's one very overriding thing that would need to be determined. Um, 
And then from a, a state-to-state state perspective, there are different types of um, uh, security structure that Dave Shaw referred to you know, that, that can come into play. In some cases, the asset itself can be pledged. Uh, the fiber and the network operating center and all the electronics and whatnot can be pledged as security. In other states, that can't be, and we have to pledge a revenue source. In some states, you can do both. So um, in my opinion, the best thing to do is to seek out um, you know, trusted, experienced professionals who have worked in the uh, municipal finance industry. And you know, most, um, most of those skilled professionals are uh, willing and able to meet and at least provide some you know, basic education of what the uh, alternatives are in um, you know, whatever state that they're looking in. And you know, to, to provide that education you know, in an hour, hour and a half um, uh, meeting and give you some basic framework uh, for what can and can't be done in um, uh, various states. If it's of interest to you later on in the conversation, I can um, you know, give you some of those more, um, you know, more specifics of kind of the broad brush of, of tools that are available. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe we should talk for a couple of minutes about what each of you respectively are doing in uh, Utah or with the Utopia project. I gather that both of you are involved either directly or indirectly with that project? Yes, yes we, we are. are. Okay. So, Laura, we'll start with you this time. What, what, what is your role with the Utopia um, effort? I am the financial advisor to many of the cities that make up uh, the interlocal cooperative that forms Utopia. Uh, Utopia is a separate legal organization that is um, made up of other local government entities. And um, my firm represents probably, I haven't ever really counted up, but probably three-fourths of the member entities. And uh, we are then the financial municipal advisor to Utopia and to the sort of second generation of Utopia, known as the Utah Infrastructure Agency, which is a, an interlocal cooperative that's made up of a subset of the Utopia members. Um, I've been involved with, uh, with the member cities uh, since Utopia was uh, introduced to them um, as a, an idea to uh, two of my uh, clients, both Orem City and West Valley City, were the first ones uh, to explore the path, and I have been involved with them ever since. Coolness. And I'm sure your life has uh, been very, both of you, have been very uh, entertaining over these last few years <laughs> with the whole <laughs> Utopia dance. <laughs> Dave, no, nothing like a good challenge, right? <laughs> you clearly have that. So, so yeah. Dave, what's your, what's your role there? I, so, like Laura, I've been involved with Utopia since before the dinosaurs, so to speak. Um, and uh, I, I serve as the general counsel to Utopia and to uh, the Utah Infrastructure Agency. So, uh, I'm involved in all legal matters uh, and have been since the inception of the agency. Uh, and, and so, in that capacity, we've had uh, quite a ride. Uh, both ups and downs. I've uh, been involved when Utopia was the darling child of the municipal broadband uh, industry, and uh, uh, up up until now, when when it's not looked upon so favorably. So, um, and, and through that process, we've watched as uh, cities have learned a lot of lessons in the broadband industry. Okay. So we highlighted in the you know in the run up to this. Um, show uh, in the description, there are three areas that are of concern, uh, sort of the guide the, the bonding process. And um, uh, one is, you know, how well you navigate the political waters, uh, how well you navigate the legal and legality waters, and how well you, you know, keep your head above all of the financial uh, elements of this. So let's start by talking about the politics uh, first. In general, if, if a community wants to do a bond measure, is, is your advice that they have all of their political support 
uh, either from elected officials and the general public in line before they they um, bring up the bond issue, or, or how does what what are the political issues that need to be addressed? And I think we'll start with Dave, and then Laura, you can add on to that. Yeah, yeah. In my view, Craig, um, the the political issue, the biggest one at least, is you have to have uh, political heroes who are willing to take the the arrows of the detractors. And there will be detractors. We've seen that across the country on almost every project that, that's come about. Uh, whether, whether you're going to a full um, uh, bond election because it's a general obligation bond, or whether it's uh, something like a revenue bond that doesn't go to a vote of the people. Uh, nonetheless, there will be uh, detractors who, who cry foul, uh, who claim that that's not the proper role of government and, and you need uh, political heroes who are willing to step up to the microphone and say, no, it is, and here's why. If we don't, uh, if we don't have uh, bro- broadband in our communities, we lose our economic development and we lose our ability to, to enhance the quality of life. Uh, and, and so that, in my view, is the biggest issue from a political perspective. Okay. Uh, Laura, you want to add to that? Yeah, one of the other things that I've seen, um, sort of irrespective of what we're working on from a municipal finance perspective, be that broadband or roads or a rec facility or whatever, um, is uh, you know some really good education of uh, you know the constituency that is going to be uh, benefited by the project, and where that. Um, you know where that occurs best. Uh, you see much more favorable support from, um, uh, you know, the elected officials. You know, from a local government level, like a city council, clear on up to um, uh, the legislators. And you know, from a statewide perspective, and it's um, very, um, very, very important relative to the deployment of broadband, because unlike. Um, uh, many of those other projects that I referenced, uh, whether that's a roadway or a park, um, <clears throat> the deployment of broadband uh, sadly is not viewed yet as um, as uh, infrastructure that everyone should have access to, and uh, the 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 greater that that word can get out, and I'm, I'm very encouraged by the fact that uh, you know we have a, a young nation, we have a, a nation that um, is uh, very high in terms of its usage of broadband when it's available, and you know I think that that uh, that tide will continue to swell, but I think it's very important in the political context to make sure that um, you know the education gets out at the grassroots. And that those, um, you know, those grassroots people that are educated uh, seek to educate and mobilize, so that the elected officials hear their voices, because they will certainly hear, as Dave indicated, they will certainly hear from, um, you know, the detractors. And uh, I think it's easy to kind of assume, well, yeah, everybody, everybody needs this high speed, and people just assume that people think that, but they really need to get out, uh, you know, get out and and talk and educate, so that um, it gives the backbone to the politicians that they need to stand up and make uh, the right decisions. Okay. So now on on the show we have talked about the politics of, of broadband and. Uh, treating uh, broadband efforts as a political campaign and so forth. So some of my audience obviously is, is aware of that, but in general terms, uh, we'll, we'll ping pong again here. We'll start with, with, with Dave again. Um, what steps do you take, you know, if you're the, the steering committee or you're the economic development agency and you, by choice or default or whatever, have now taken on the leadership role for the broadband project, and you're in, say, the early days of doing this, what are some of the building blocks to a good, call it effort or campaign, to build your political support? I mean, what does that look like in in reality? Uh, That's a great question, Um, and, and I think it stems from uh, who are the local political leaders? And so you have to look at the former politicians, you have to look at the business leaders, 
and you have to look at those who, who really drive the community. And those may, those may be grassroots uh, uh, practitioners who do nothing but get out and spread the word. Um, it may be the, the local chamber of commerce. Um, but irrespective, you have to identify uh, who in the community um, fills those particular roles. And then, and then like Laura said, you have to go and educate them. And, and that's a hand-to-hand uh, -hand combat sort of uh, thing where you really have to sit down and, and talk about it. And then uh, you have to get together in uh, cottage meetings. You have to get together in um, local business meetings, the rotary clubs, the, the other community clubs. Uh, and start to spread the word. Um, when you don't do that, uh, what you'll find is that uh, those who are opposed to the project will do it more effectively. Uh, and that's when it becomes a real challenge. Uh -huh. uh, so so as, as, you, as you find the business leaders, as you find the community leaders, the, educa the educators, uh, that's when you spread the word. The other, the other one that I think uh, really um, needs uh, more focus than I think a lot of communities spend time on is the youth community. Yeah. Uh, after all, the, they're the ones who have uh, 20 different devices who are always on their Wi-Fi. Uh, and, and there's a misnomer that Wi-Fi exists without fiber. Uh, it doesn't. <laughs> uh, all, all, all wireless uh, leads back to fiber somewhere. Somewhere and along so the, the way. Yeah, and, and so the more the youth uh, get educated about it and get motivated uh, toward t telling their parents, their, uh, their teachers, their uh, community leaders that this is important, I think the, there's a, a bigger opportunity for groundswell. Okay. Uh, any additional thoughts to that, uh, Laura? Yeah, uh, your your question talked about um, you know if, if you were economic development leader in a community, and that's often where we see uh, you know the <clears throat> the first signs of the you know sort of the screaming demand uh, need for uh, high speed comes up through that, and uh, you know again the uh, you know every every city every county whatever their their politics are a little bit different, but um, you know I would uh, you know suggest that in that instance. The economic development director, uh, you know, meet with, uh, you know, so that he's not just, you know, feel like he or she are pounding their head against the wall. That they meet internally with their leadership first, like a city or county manager. And again, I'm just think from education. Here is, you know, here is what X Y Z. Um, no business needs, and we can't provide that, and that's why we might not land this this industry here. And uh, you know, here's a, so present the the pro the need, the problem, and then present a solution. So they may you know need to first uh, be able to point to something like uh, uh, you know elsewhere where it's been done. I know the arrows in their quiver. Can they use assessment bonds? Can they use tax increment in their state for that kind of thing? But say here might be some possible solutions. You know, get their buy-in first um, uh, from an administration standpoint, and then I would very quickly seek to go to the, um, you know, the mayor, council, uh, council, whatever form of government that might be at a county or um, city, and uh, you know, get uh, you know one or two leadership there educated, and get their buy-in and excitement. I mean, that's what you want to try to build. Is you know, won't it be great when we can, uh, you know, provide one gig for something that's very affordable? Um, you know, where I live and versus where I work, it's quite surprising. I pay um, way more. I live in Salt Lake City, and I don't have access to Utopia Fiber. I pay way more at my office for much lower service than I pay for at my home, where I have mm -hmm. Utopia Fiber. Um, that is much faster. And, you know, if you can start to open people's eyes uh, and, you know, you know, combine with what Dave said, if you can get, you know, those people to talk to their kids or grandkids or whatever about it, I think they really start to, um, you know, get that excitement, and that's what needs to build to really get people to buy in and, and uh, get this done. Mm -hmm. So, Laura, do you feel that the uh, bond market is more favorable to communities that want to pursue this option for broadband? And I, I bring up this question because I was in a uh, conversation with a gentleman in Iowa uh, a few weeks ago, and one of his, you know, things. In fact, he was 
strong in favor of doing this show to talk about uh, the bond option because he feels that we're in a better climate for that. But what's your what's your take on the market? Yeah, I think we're certainly in a better climate than, than we have been in you know 2007, 2008. Um, but we're not in as good of a climate as we were in pre 2007, 2008. Um, so it's kind of a mixed bag, in my opinion. And uh, you know, I always seek to structure the debt offerings in a way that will provide the lowest interest cost possible, remembering that you know whatever we use as security isn't necessarily what has to be used as repayment. Mm-hmm. And uh, more, more specifically what I mean by that, if you were to call me and say XYZ City wants to go out and do a um, municipal debt offering where the only thing that we're going to use is, um, you know, user fees or, you know, the, the sort of the take rate user fee model that comes off of this fiber deployment. I would probably say, okay, it's worth a shot. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the interest rate that you're going to pay on that, because it's a, um, you know, it really is that mentality of we, you know, you build and they will come and you bondholders, um, you have to trust that if we build, they will come. Well, bondholders don't really love that idea, and they're going to charge you. It's a risk return. That puts them in a higher risk position. They're going to want higher return. Okay. Well, the whole, the whole concept could be made better by <clears throat> saying to that same local government, and here are a couple of options, does that local government have the ability to pledge um, sales taxes? So it's another source of revenue. That's what they're going to use as security so we can get them a lower interest rate on the debt, which makes it a higher likelihood that you can repay it from, um, uh, from the system revenues. Uh, other alternatives would be to do um, what's called, an, and they're different, called different things in different states, Melarus bonds in California, um, assessment bonds in Utah, local improvement districts in Idaho, just to name a few. Um, with that, you can do what's called a voluntary assessment bond, and in and this was uh, this uh, was uh, approach was utilized in Brigham City, Utah, and you know basically you know someone has to marshal the the city in conjunction with uh, service providers, whatever has to marshal and get out in the neighborhoods and say to people, do you want to do you want fiber to your home? Okay, <laughs> you need to. Um, allow us to put an, uh, an assessment lien against your property for you know so many years, depending upon how it's financed. And for that, what you get in return for that is you will have fiber to your home. And mm-hmm. in that particular instance, again, we could utilize um, those assessment liens to construct the fiber, but the user fees and whatnot that would come in could be re- used to effectively reduce what those assessment liens might have to be at their maximum. So there's a number of creative ways uh, to structure the debt so that you get the interest rate lowered to increase the likelihood that with a full ubiquitous deployment and reasonable take rates in that full ubiquitous deployment, that those system revenues themselves will, will likely be the repayment source, even though your security source is something else, just so that you can get the interest rate down. Mm-hmm. So, um, Dave, do you think that, um, based on what both of you are saying, that if the community does a strong needs assessment effort where they basically they get out and they talk to stakeholders, they do, I mean, people have done surveys, they have done rallies, they have done a myriad of things that both educate and also build support for um, the, the network. They also identify needs, they identify who the potential subscribers are going to be. I mean, there's a whole ritual. I mean, that's kind of what I do, but it is that type of effort I'm gathering. If they do that part well, it will make the ability to build that political support easier because it provides you with data and it provides you with testimonials and just a raft of material that you can just throw on the fire to say, you know what, this is, we're going we're gonna to make this work. 
uh, yeah, I, that that's a very important first step. Um, but it, but it's only the first step uh, because where you might get stuck uh, right after that is do you do you even have the legal ability to build a broadband network? Uh, and and that's a state by state issue currently. Now the FCC is is looking at whether or not uh, whether or not they can preempt state laws that restrict municipalities. But those state laws are are wide and plentiful. Uh, and it starts from something known as Dillon's Rule uh, versus Home Rule. Home Rule states are where cities have the ability to uh, do just about anything unless the legislature has said they can't. In a Dillon's Rule state, it's just the opposite, where uh, you can only do those things where the legislature has said you can. Uh, and so if you find yourself in a Dillon's Rule state, you've got a real conundrum unless you have a specific authorizing legislation that says you can build a, a telecommunications system. Even so, um, in, a, in a home rule state where you might have wide authority to do so, the legislature might have passed legislation that says you can't. Utah is a great example of that where uh, the legislation says if, if you as a city want to be a retail provider, you really can't do it. But if you want to be a wholesale pro provider, you can. Uh, and, and that becomes a real challenge from a business modeling perspective uh, in terms of generating revenue. Do you have enough? Uh, are you pricing yourself out of the marketplace, et cetera, et cetera. And so the second step beyond the politics after you've uh, garnered that support is making sure that you really have the authority. And if you don't, you might have yourself uh, a, a legislative battle trying to get the authority to do so. Um, Massachusetts is a great example where um, the, the Wired West project uh, was seeking to, to, to provide telecommunications and the only way that we could find that where they could do so was through something called municipal lighting districts, mm -hmm. uh, which, which had the authority to do so and, and that's how the Wired West project was formed. Uh, and, and so you might even uh, find yourself hearkening back to uh, old archaic laws that may not have been originally intended for broadband, but were written in such a way that they can be in the, be interpreted that way. Right, and and here in California, there's a legislative effort going on to try to classify um, a category, which would be um, public good, public works, uh, infrastructure projects, and then after having created that category. Uh, or defining, maybe might be the better word, defining that particular category, inserting broadband into that, and thus making it available for money that would be set aside for infrastructure projects. So in, in that respect, there the legislature is creating a vehicle similar to what Wired West has in, in previous standing, meaning they had the, uh, this, this, this type of a district already in code, and now they're just basically putting cities into that established category here in california we're talking about creating the category and then all i mean it'll be a battle and it's going to be long and, it, and nothing's ever quick but and i think that's really what your point is is that um you know while we're doing all of the needs assessment stuff which you have to do anyway regardless of which route you're going to take um you've got to simultaneously if you're considering doing a bond measure you've got to simultaneously explore the the, the legalities of of you know, whatever exists in your state relative to bonds. Yeah, that, that's a great example, Craig. And uh, it's also a great example of the need for municipal projects to understand what, what each other happens to be doing. Um, because what works in one state may or may not work in another state, yeah. but it may be worth looking at. Uh, and, and I think oftentimes you get so, so far into the project where you don't... don't <laughs> pull your head up out of the sand to look around a bit to see that you're not alone. Um, one other thing I might mention is that uh, there, from the legal perspective, I think there, there's a, a fundamental need uh, to insert a very simple change into the tax code, which would allow um, uh, the issuance of tax-exempt bonds for broadband, uh, even when they are operated by private operators. Right now, if you have a private operator involved in the system, as Laura talked about earlier, you may have to issue your debt 
on a taxable basis, which increases your interest rate. Uh, and and, and I, I think it would be probably a five or eight word change in the tax code that would allow tax exempt bonds to be issued uh, and not violate those rules. Uh, that's something that I think collectively as municipal uh, projects we could work toward. Interesting. Very, very interesting. So the, the, the legal part is, is, is key. Now, in terms of doing the research, I mean, I obviously understand that, you know, for Dave, this is, this is your business, so clearly having people call you is valuable. Um, but is this something that, you know, can this be handled by, say, uh, a city attorney? Or is this area, this sort of this whole bond area, something that you need, you know, specialized legal counsel for? Uh, great question. As a, as a former city attorney, um, what I would say is that um, I, I respect all city attorneys, but they all have uh, lots and lots to do on their plate. Uh, mm -hmm. And this is such a specialized area where I would not recommend that they go it alone, so to speak. Um, typically, you have uh, borrower's counsel, which is the role that I fill, and then you have bond counsel uh, involved as well. Uh, involved in the issuance of, of the securities. Uh, and, and those are very specialized functions where if you do it wrong, uh, it has big consequences. Uh, and so I, I would not recommend they go it alone, although I do respect their ability to, to come up to speed and do so. Mm -hmm. uh, they, in my experience, they just have too much on their plate uh, to be able to focus on the issues that, that need to ha be paid attention to. Uh, obviously, right. you, you know, I, I wouldn't turn down any phone calls either, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but at the same time, uh, uh, it, it really is a specialized thing that, that deserves specialized attention, and uh, maybe Laura could speak to it as well. So. Right, okay. Yeah, one so, of the benefits, um, one of the many benefits you get out of separate legal counsel, which is imperative to, I think, this type of issue, is you know, that separate legal counsel um, understands it very Find uh, you know in the weeds detail um, the issues relative to tax law and uh, and securities law and as these um, debt obligations are issued they will provide a, an opinion um, that protects the city that is backed by that firm's liability insurance so it's a you know there's uh, there's a very real benefit in having that expertise as well as the um, added opinion and uh, insurance that comes with that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and Craig, sometimes city attorneys do act in the role that I feel as their own borrower's counsel. One, uh, one thing that I've been concerned about, especially since 2008 when we've seen a number of bond uh, issues um, uh, get into trouble, uh, is that when city attorneys act in their own capacity that way, especially when they're in-house, um, effectively you're not getting that insurance coverage that Laura's talking about. You, on the one hand, you get it from bond counsel, but you don't get a secondary set of coverage from uh, from borrower's counsel. Uh, and, and instead, you end up in a situation where if the city attorney gets it wrong, um, uh, perhaps under the local state immunity acts, uh, the city attorney can turn to the city and, and ask for uh, the city to defend the attorney for having gotten it wrong. So not only do you not get the insurance, but you may have to pay on top of that. Mm-hmm. So, sort of to wrap this part of the discussion up, it seems like it would be helpful to have the uh, expert expertise of someone or several someone who specialize in this area, but at the same time, <clears throat> I think it's, it's to a city's benefit to have or to make sure that their lawyers, the city attorneys, <clears throat> spend a, some amount of time becoming more knowledgeable about this so that you have someone close at hand who is, is developing that expertise as well as having the, you know, the outside expert as well. And you're kind of double, you know, you're, you're backing each other's re legal resources up that way. Yeah, no, no question about that. And, and I'm very careful when I work with the city attorneys not to step on their, their turf um, right. and, and to make, make sure that they understand that I'm not – not they're trying to steal their client or anything like that. Rather, it's to provide a specialized knowledge about the broadband world that they may or may not have. 
Okay. So let's let's move into the discussion of the financial um, opportunities and challenges, or the financial waters that one has to to go through. And we'll start with um, uh, with Laura because this is obviously your area. How do you? Pre- well, what are some key financial concerns that communities need to look at as they evaluate whether or not the bond option makes sense for them? Um, well, I'm going to start at the you know the very most basic. Uh, they need to have uh, really good data in regard to what uh, the cost of the project will be, and you know the the technical experts listening in will understand the terminology more than me. But there's like an active way to deploy or inactive way to deploy, and um, you know what those costs are going to be not only upfront in construction, but they need to understand um, very comprehensively what the ongoing operations and maintenance costs will be. Um, while we, you know, know to the best of my knowledge that fiber um, has a you know, sort of unknown um, life, uh, but it's, you know, well beyond 50 years that it's been tested. But the electronics on the end, um, you know, just like any electronic component does need to be uh, replaced. They, you know, wear out. So, uh, you know, very good information from, um, you know, what I would say, you know, ought to be a, uh, you know, an independent third party to the city uh, that has the expertise. I'd probably do a, a request for proposal on that and, uh, you know, make sure you're, you know, you know who you're working with and what their expertise is. So you really want to understand um, the expenses. And, um, you know, similarly, that same expert, you know, may or may not be the right entity to give you some good information relative to what the um, likely uh, take rates might be, what type of, uh, you know, revenues could be anticipated, what sort of uh, charges are going to be acceptable in the market. And, um, you know, because you really need to do a, a very thorough cash flow analysis. Sorry, I have to switch my headsets beeping in my ear. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so you really need to understand, uh, you know, and, and stress test that cash flow analysis from, you know, the standpoint of, okay, it's going to cost X million to build. It's going to take two years. Um, you know, so you've got the, the cost that you'll incur during those two years in terms of interest expense, and you won't have as many revenues those first years as the system's coming online. And, uh, you know, when you have that information, I, again, I would recommend you get your, you know, sort of your whole team together, uh, you know, legal, finance, um, both your in-house and outside experts to be reviewing that and getting educated at the same time. Uh, to uh, stress test that model and make sure that everyone's very comfortable with that. Once you've done that, then it's a matter of identifying I know what is um, legally available to to that entity in terms of of uh, securing the debt. And then the next uh, you know test that has to go through is what's legally available, what's politically acceptable and palatable. Um, you know, so your team might come up with, well, you could pledge, you know, electric utility revenues, you could pledge sales tax, or we could have a, you know, general obligation vote. Maybe those are the three arrows in the quiver in that particular state. Well, um, you know, then we have to decide, okay, is it going to be politically palatable to um, uh, do, you know, to pledge electric revenues in this instance? You know, is it going to be, uh, do we have the time and wherewithal and, you know, support of the masses to get the voter education out if you're going to do a general obligation bond. So that's kind of the waterfall of how I would, um, you know, see that uh, being approached on a, a case-by-case basis. Mm-hmm. And did that answer your question? Well, no, that, that, that tells me what the first step is. You know, the, the, the stress test is, is critical. I guess one of the other things that I'm looking for or that probably folks in the audience are looking for is are there certain in a general sense, certain signs or outcomes of these stress tests that if you get X, you should probably say maybe the bond measure isn't for us, or if I see, right. you know, A, well, yes, we should probably, you know, at least go to the next step with this. Right. One of the um, in- interesting outcomes of exploring this, and I've seen it relative not just to fiber, um, we financed natural gas in a couple of communities, smaller communities in Utah years ago, that interestingly, you know, the um, the local entity in Utah that provides um, natural gas to many areas 
the cities had approached them and you know they'd given them a, oh yes we'll come and do that for your city for x large number of million dollars the city approached us and said you know we want to um uh, you know, do our own natural gas system, which they certainly can do, and we finance that. Well, we're in the middle of the financing, and lo and behold, the incumbent <laughs> gas provider went back and said, oh, well, really, we can do that for lower. Well, the cities were smart and went ahead and, and did their own natural gas system. So you'll see some of that, um, and, you know, that needs to be taken into account from a stress test perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but signs that... Um, you know, so I, again, I, I would just certainly caution your audience. They need to be prepared. You, you said something earlier, Craig, that made me you know, want to remind them. They really need to be prepared for the long haul. And you mentioned this isn't easy. It's not quick. You really have to be in it for the long haul and be tenacious, and you know, that persistence will prevail. But things that might, um, you know, if, if, for instance, you were to uh, see in your feasibility study that the only way this kind of cash flows is that you need a 50% take rate, and um, you know you uh, have information from experts in the industry that say uh, you know unless there's nothing here but dial-up, and there are places where that exists, unless there's nothing in this community but dial-up, maybe 50% is too high of a take rate, and you know I would probably be very um, concerned if it was if if you were looking at that high of number that needed to support this from a cash flow perspective. Um, if the city's you know aware that it you know it it's going to require 50% to make it really cash flow. But and we think we're only going to get 30. Then the you know rubber meets the road question is: Are you, you know, the debt issuer, whether that's city or county or whatever it is, are are you you know politically uh, willing to cover that delta for the benefits of economic development? Because um, it may it may be that getting X Y Z big industry in town will attract. Um, you know, um, the multiplier effect of, okay, we get this new industry, we get new high-paying jobs, those people are shopping in our stores. So there could certainly be political reasons to support that even in that instance, but um, those discussions have to be had. So to me, again, I am all about the, you know, the cash flow and the numbers and the money. It would be those kind of signs. If I looked at something and thought, yeah, you know, kind of the gut check of, Really, you know, I'm paying. I mean, another another one of those might be what you know. And looking at at that analysis is, okay, you know, today I'm paying. I'm making up numbers. Today I'm paying, you know, $150 for my triple play service, which includes this level of of you know fiber connectivity. Under this new model, um, if I you know if I have to pay more than that, and again, usually that's not the case. It's usually less than. But that would be another thing I'd be, you know, sensitive to. If people's all-in fees are going to go up, then that's going to have a downward pressure on the types of take rates you're going to get. And mm-hmm. again, most people that are probably listening in probably have some kind of gut check of what they pay. You know, their sample size of one. What they pay. What would they pay? They're familiar with their communities. You know, sort of the the wealth measurement of that community. Are they well above median adjusted gross household income? Are they well below that? I think they'll sort of have a sense for what will our community bear and um, you know, be able to kind of give it that local gut check of do these numbers seem to make sense to me, and I think it really needs to go through that, that kind of test. Mm-hmm. So now we're, what, we've got about 12, 15 minutes here. Um, starting with Dave, I want to explore this thing, our idea. So pilot projects, though I understand now that the word pilot is becoming uh, not in vogue because it seems to evoke this perception that people don't know what they're doing. But in the tech world, in enterprise applications, you have a pilot project because you test a lot you know, about the technology that you're about to deploy. I have been advancing this idea that you need communities need to have a pilot project, whatever you call it, that tests not so much the technology, particularly if it's an all, you know, mostly fiber network, because that stuff pretty much works, but the pilot should test financial assumptions, marketing messaging assumptions, and a laundry list of business-related issues, as in will the business of broadband be successful, do that via a pilot project that may represent 
20, 25% of the intended area. What's your thought on, on that? And we'll, we'll start with Dave, I think, and then go to, to Laura. But is a pilot project, if it's large enough, can it address some of these issues that you have both brought up relative to what you need to do to, you know, make that go, no-go decision with a bond effort? Yeah, I, I think it can be a, a useful effort, um, it, depending on how it's done. Uh, because what it does is it validates the business model assumptions and the financial model assumptions uh, so that when you do go to the, uh, the bond market, um, there's more credibility on the cash flow uh, basis. Uh, I don't think that gets you out of having some other underlying collateral, um, but nonetheless, I, I think it gives more credibility that uh, towards success or not success. But I, but I think there's a another facet of that question, and that is, uh, how do you define success as a as a community? Uh, and and one of the uh, one of the great uh, uh, errors I think we make in the municipal broadband world is. Uh, always defining success as it must be cash flow positive and 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 therefore uh, profitable. Uh, there are communities where, it, as Laura indicated, uh, this may be so important that without it, um, you don't get new business locating to your cities, um, because as businesses look for a place to locate. Uh, fiber or broadband availability may not be the the ultimate decision maker, but it certainly is the, one of the first exclusionary factors. So if I'm if I'm going to locate my business in your city and you don't have it, uh, then, I, then you're probably xed off the list. Uh, and so and so in some communities, uh, success may not be cash flow positive. Success may be. Uh, uh, enhancing the business community uh, or enhancing health care. Uh, and, and so I think it's very important that in, in the pilot projects you define what that is. Um, you know, it's a, it, uh, it's a very interesting thing. Um, uh, I've, I've asked elected officials from time to time, uh, when was the last time their police force turned a profit? And they look at me dumbfounded and say, what do you mean? And I said, well, you have a police force. Is it turning a profit? And, and they don't even know how to answer the question because, of course, it doesn't. Uh, the police force is there to provide other community benefits. Uh, and so I think it's important to define what those are ahead of time. And now, if, if you do define it as cash flow positive, which is just fine, um, then that's where the financial side of this comes into play uh, to prove out the, the validity of those models and, and the validity of the business side. Uh, and, and then finally, um, I think it goes without saying that you have to have a marketing or a community awareness campaign. Um, you can't leave it to the, the providers if you're a wholesale network or, or just to your employees alone. Uh, if you're a community retail network, uh, to, to do the marketing on their own. This has to be a community effort, and it has to be embraced and owned by the community. Uh, if, if it's not, you'll find um, that people don't come on board as quickly. Mm -hmm. Laura, what are your thoughts? Um, you know, I... I I agree with what Dave said uh, wholeheartedly. I'm, I don't know that I have uh, a lot to add to that. Okay. So in closing, maybe we'll, we'll go with each of you, starting with Laura. What are two, three, I don't know, key, key points to leave with people about, you know, that are, that are weighing this option for... <clears throat> Uh, for a, uh, a a bond effort. Oh, you know, actually, before I before I do that, let me ask this question: <coughs> Is it possible and practical to consider a bond measure for, say, 25% of the total network or 30%? Because there are a number of folks in, across the U.S. who have, in, in, in lieu of not being able to get a lot of money for the full project have built 25 to 30% of the network and then use that you know, success and the, the attention that it draws 
and the fact that it creates a whole bunch of envy throughout the rest of the community and let that drive then the fundraising uh, to, to build out the rest of the network. Would a bond be useful, valuable in that scenario? And again, we'll start with Laura, but we only got about five minutes. Uh, yes, I think it could be. Um, it'd be a matter of you know uh, making sure that you communicate to the bond holders um, that you are phasing. And I think one of the biggest challenges with that is uh, you know sort of the the other side of that envy. If you're one of the have-nots, you might you know be bugging your city about when's it coming to me, when's it coming to me, and the, the local government just needs to be prepared to deal with that and and have the right answers in that regard. Okay. It's also important if you, yeah, it's also important if you're going to phase uh, the project in that way that you focus on customer connections. Um, you can phase the project in such a way where you build a lot of middle mile, which is what has happened with the stimulus money. Uh, but then, but then, how do you connect the end users? Yeah. Um, and and you get to a point where you don't have a sufficient cash flow. Uh, to float the next bond, and that becomes a problem. And, and then you end up w with what Laura is talking about. And, and one of the things that we faced on the Utopia project uh, was anticipointment, where people are so excited about it, they call and you have to tell them, sorry, we can't connect you, because we used all our money on middle mile and didn't save enough to, to connect the customers. So, uh, so I think that's, that's a danger, but I think phasing can be, can be a useful strategy. Okay. Well, in uh, let's see, what do we got? We got about uh, we got about four minutes. So now, now I will come to the final question. You know, two things leave people with that are considering, you know, do we proceed or do we at least pursue this idea or not? Uh, start with Laura. Uh, I would say get educated themselves first of what their options are, and not to forget to uh, utilize their. Uh, Know, the professional resources that are available to them because many of those you know, will be happy to help educate them at no cost and at least say here are the different things and, and here's an uh, approach to take. Uh, so that would be my, uh, my A number one. Okay. Dave? Uh, yeah, I, I, I would leave with this. It's not about the technology. Uh, the, the technology exists. It works. Uh, and I think oftentimes uh, project uh, di directors uh, focus so much on the technology that they forget about the money side. Uh, and so it's about the, the ability to finance. It's about the structure under which you do that. And, and as you focus on those things, uh, the technology, the construction, all of those things are relatively easy com compared to those. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so I would focus on those at least as much as you do on the technology. Okay. Now, unless this is a politically charged question, you can answer in one minute each, starting with Dave. What should we expect out of Utopia? Is that going to – I mean, there's, there's just a, so much going on right now. You've got the Macquarie deal, and you've got cities considering and reconsidering their position and the AstroTurf groups and all of that. What's going to happen with Utopia? Um, what, I, what I predict is long-term success. Okay. Um, in, in, in one form or fashion, I, I don't know how that shakes out quite yet, but that's what I predict. Fair enough. That makes sense. Laura, what do you think? I would concur with that. Um, it's certainly been a very, uh, as you also alluded to, Craig, it's been a very long um, learning curve. Um, you know, there have been a, uh, you know, m many of the challenges that Utopia has faced were not brought on by themselves, and that message is certainly not out there. But um, you know the the uh, what's deployed works. It works fast. People who are on it want to stay on it and don't want to get off and don't want to go to the incumbents. We uh, everyone loves having the choice of 18 service providers. I read in a in an Economist article. Well, it's been a number of months back, but um, indicated that 75% of people in the U.S. only have one choice for internet service providing their home. And you know, one choice is what we refer to as a monopoly. And we know what pricing is like in a monopoly. And the reason that I predict long-term success is um, uh, because of the choices it will offer the consumer. And with what's being explored now, if we really can see full ubiquitous deployment in um, some of these larger cities, I think it will turn the tide as to how people uh, view and utilize Utopia Fiber. Okay. 
And with that, uh, we're going to come to the uh, end of our show. I want to thank you, Dave and Laura, for both uh, being here to make a fairly complex uh, topic definitely a little more understandable for folks, our, for our listeners, and I think there's a lot of benefit from uh, the information that you've shared with us today. So thank you very, very much for that. I, pre- I appreciate it, as I'm sure our audience does. Thank you. And thank you, and, and thank you for the work that you're doing in this important area. Sure. And, and speaking of which, uh, listeners should go, well, listeners who are in Colorado and Iowa should go to cjspeaks.com because I'm doing a five-week webinar series where a lot of the issues that were covered today and also yesterday where we talked about you know, understanding the technology and how the tech side stuff impacts the business side decisions, uh, this is going to be covered in a um, small group uh, sort of a training exercise on some very key fundamentals to planning and moving your broadband projects. So with that, I'm going to say goodbye and we'll talk again soon. Have a great day. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.